Welcome, everybody. Um, good morning. For those of you who don't know who I am, I'm Linda, and I'm part of the church team here at St. John's. And good morning to you. Um, good morning to those of you watching on the live stream um, and those of you that will catch up later. Okay. This morning, I've got some stuff to share, and I can even feel the weight and the pain of it before I even open my mouth, okay? So I'm just putting that out there right now. So today, we are in our final part in the Faith in the Dark series. And those of you that have been joining us for the past three weeks, you will know that we have been looking at the topic, the subject, the experience of suffering in the life of a man called Job. I'm sure we all appreciate that suffering is a universal and timeless problem. And many of us have probably read books about suffering, if you're anything like me. I've got lots of books on my bookshelf about suffering. And there are some real common names that these books can go by. And you may be familiar with some of them. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do good people suffer? And if God is good, why does he allow suffering? When I look back over my own life, I can see, um, you know, I've experienced loads of trials, loads of tribulation. But nothing was more difficult for me personally and my family than the day that one of our dear friends, their baby died, her 100 days old. And those friends are among the most righteous people that we know. And we all struggled to understand how could this have happened? They're so godly, how could this have happened? And there are some of us sitting in this room now and some watching on the live stream who were at the funeral. And I will never forget as long as I live. Seeing the dad holding the coffin of the little baby and giving thanks to God for the hundred days that his son had been alive. Um, we all acknowledge, I'm sure, how intensely difficult loss can be. And our prayer in this place, brothers and sisters, is that we would all be a source of love and comfort to one another in our struggles, in our suffering and in our pain. Now, as I said, we're in the book of Job, and although the book of Job is not easy to understand, it can raise more questions than answers. And over the past three weeks, what we've attempted to do is make sense of what we've been reading about in the life of Job. And I know, because I've spoken to lots of people here, many of us have read through the book of Job, as I have, and a lot of people are disturbed by the contents of it as was I. And I tell you what disturbed me the most. Why would the God that I learnt about in Sunday school, that they talked about on an Alpha course, that we read about in the Bible, and that we've heard sermons on, why would that God allow such suffering in the life of a man called Job? In actual fact, it gets worse than that for me. Why would God even engage in a dialogue 
with Satan in the first place, in the courts of heaven. He knows that Satan is our adversary. God knows that because God made all things in the universe. And for years and years, I could not see a loving God in the, in the scriptures in the book of Job. I couldn't see it. And in fact, I used to wonder to myself, why is the book of Job even in the Bible? And when, you, when we ask ourselves that question, I think what we're trying to do is make sense of what we read about in that poor man's life. And in order to make sense of anything, we need answers, don't we? We even demand answers. However, I'm not sure we're gonna get the answers that we're looking for. So we approach our time together this morning with one question, I've just got one question really. Is God a God of justice or not? We're gonna need our Bibles this morning. So if you would like a Bible, if you raise your hand, the stewards will come round because the answer to my question is found in the pages of the Bible. So do raise your hand if you want a Bible or if you have a Bible. Before we open up the Bible together, um, we're just going to pray, if that's all right. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that all scripture is God-breathed and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. As we open up the book of Job together, we ask Holy Spirit that you would help us to understand reflect and apply all that we read in the scriptures. Would you be our teacher, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In the church Bibles, you'll find um, our reading on page 538. We're going to do something a little bit differently this morning. We are going to be dipping in, in the book of Job, right near the end, we're going to be dipping in Job chapter 38, chapter 39, chapter 40 and 41. I would encourage you, if you get time this week, to just read the whole block of that in your own time, but we wouldn't have time to read all of that here today. So we're just going to dip in and out of it. Um, we're going to see how the Lord answers Job as Job goes on trial before Almighty God. So we're going to start from Job chapter 38, verses 1 to 3. I will have the scriptures, most of them, on the screen if you haven't got a Bible, so they should be there as well. So this is Job chapter 38, verses 1 to 3. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. God has been questioned long enough by Job. Now it's time for Job to be put on trial and for Almighty God to be the questioning barrister. Let's just continue. We're going to read now from verses four to seven. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. 
Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? And I'm just going to pause there as I imagine the Lord speaking. Tell me, Job, if you have understanding. You can't, can you? Because you weren't there, Job, and you don't know how I did it. Moving on to verses 19 to 21 of that same chapter. What is the way to the abode of light, and where does darkness reside? Can you take them to their places? Do you know the paths to their dwellings? Surely you know, for you were already born. You have lived so many years. And I imagine the Lord looking at Job and just saying, you don't know where it is, Job, do you? Or how to get there? I do, because I made the light. So whether we focus in chapter 38 on the earth, the sea, the morning, the gates of death, light, darkness, the storehouses of snow, of rain, of hail, frost, and the stars in the sky, the upshot of chapter 38 is that Job doesn't know. He doesn't know where it all came from. He doesn't know how to make it all work. He is utterly surrounded above and beneath by mysteries, as we all are. And now we're going to fast forward to chapter 39. And I'm looking now at verses 1 to 4. Do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Do you watch when the doe bears her fawn? Do you count the months till they bear? Do you know the time they give birth? They crouch down and bring forth their young. Their labour pains are ended. Their young thrive and grow strong in the wilds. They leave and they do not return. And I imagine again that God is saying, think of it, Job. I'm on top of all of these things. When the mountain goat gives gives birth, and these mountain goats, I googled this, they're found in North America mainly, in the Rocky Mountains, in Alaska. And what God is saying in those scriptures is that when they give birth, I'm there. I know their months of pregnancy and I take care of their young. Moving on in the same chapter to verses 19 to 25. Do you give the horse its strength or clothe its neck with a flowing mane? Do you make it leap like a locust, striking terror with its proud snorting? It pours fiercely, rejoicing in its strength and charges into the fray. It laughs at fear, afraid of nothing. It does not shy away from the sword. The quiver rattles against its side, along with the flashing spear and lance. In frenzied excitement, it eats up the ground. It cannot stand still when the trumpet sounds. At the blast of the trumpet, it snorts. Aha! It catches the scent of battle from afar, the shout of commanders and the battle cry. And God is looking at Job, isn't he, and saying, Job, is it you that's given the horse his might? Do you clothe his neck with great strength? You don't know how to do it, do you, Job? 
I'm the only one who does. Whether we consider the birth of the mountain goats, the wild donkeys, the ox, the ostrich, the hawk or the eagle, the might of the war horse, the upshot of chapter 39 is that Job doesn't have the answers. He did not make the animals and the birds. He doesn't know how to control them. He cannot see what they're doing. And yet, Job presumed to question Almighty God. Let's turn to chapter 40. Now, if you were here last week, you'll recall, hopefully, that the main contention that Job had towards God was whether God was a God of justice or not. And you, rem- you, you might remember, I said last week that Job was saying that God was wrong, that he was right. Job was saying that God was unfair and unjust. And remember, this young guy burst into the scene and his name was Elihu. And I, I said last week that Elihu wasn't having any of that kind of talk. And he looked Job straight in his face and said these words to him. You are not right. God is greater than any man. So let's see what God says about justice in chapter 40. And I'm reading from verses 8 to 14. Would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? Do you have an arm like God's? And can your voice thunder like his? Then adorn yourself with glory and splendour and clothe yourself in honour and majesty. Unleash the fury of your wrath. Look at all who are proud and bring them low. Look at all who are proud and humble them. Crush the wicked where they stand. Bury them all in the dust together. Shroud their faces in the grave. Then I myself will admit to you that your own right hand can save you. Sobering words at the end there. And I wonder, can Job save himself? I believe that the Lord's question to Job in verse 8 of those scriptures that we just read, and I'll read it again. Would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? I believe that question is at the heart of the entire matter in the book of Job. We have been on a journey of lament with Job, 42 chapters worth of lament. Job believed, didn't he, that the Lord God had done him wrong. He believed that he'd acted righteously and that God had acted unrighteously. And the Lord meets Job's accusation with those words. Would you condemn me to justify yourself? Job had put himself in the right and the Lord God Almighty in the wrong. And this is what needs to be addressed when we think about suffering and pain. Nothing will ever make any sense if we really believe in our hearts that the Lord is wrong. It just won't make any sense. If Job is the judge of the universe, then he's going to need something. He's going to need more than God's righteousness. He's going to need glory, 
honour, majesty and power. If Job is going to run the whole universe, he'll need a plan. And that plan will have to look like, how on earth, Job, are you going to manage to deliver perfect justice with love and compassion? And even more than that, if Job is going to run the universe, how is he going to enable sinners like us to be saved? If Job, who is righteous in his own eyes, is the true standard of righteousness and justice, then Job must be sitting there in the dirt. He must be really angry at everything he sees going on in the world, all the bad things. And therefore, Job must be the person to sort it all out for us. And these are just my questions as I kind of look through the Bible. This is how my mind works. And I'm now just going to read from chapter 41. Um, I don't think these, these words won't come up on the screen. I'll just read them. Chapter 41, verses 1 to 11. And in this chapter, a new creature called Leviathan is introduced for us. Can you pull in Leviathan with a fish hook or tie down its tongue with a rope? Can you put a cord through its nose or pierce its jaw with a hook? Will it keep begging you for mercy? Will it speak to you with gentle words? Will it make an agreement with you for you to take it as your slave for life? Can you make a pet out of it like a bird or put it on a leash for the young women in your house? Will traders barter for it? Will they divide it up among the merchants? Can you fill its hide with harpoons or its head with fishing spears? If you lay a hand on it, you will remember the struggle and never do it again. Any hope of subsiding it is false. The mere sight of it is overpowering. No one is fierce enough to rouse it. Who then is able to stand against me? Who has claim against me that I must pay? Everything under heaven belongs to me. The question we have to ask ourselves on reading chapter 41 is who or what is this creature Leviathan and can Job defeat it? Several commentators, Bible footnotes, you may even have this in your Bible that you're holding now, Several places, if you, if you, you know, look at various commentaries on, this, on, this, on Job and on this chapter particularly, they describe Leviathan as a whale, a crocodile, a dragon or a dinosaur. But I believe that Leviathan is Satan. In the book of Isaiah chapter 27, in the first few verses, we read about the final deliverance of Israel. And in the chapter, in chapter 27, this is what the prophet Isaiah says. He makes mention of the gliding serpent, the coiling serpent, and he calls him Leviathan. And we remember, don't we, in the Garden of Eden, that Satan came as a snake. 
And in the book of Revelation, we see Satan described as a dragon and as a snake. And at the end of chapter 41 in the book of Job, we read these words, and these should be on the screen. Chapter, verses 33 to 34. Nothing on earth is its equal, a creature without fear. It looks down on all that are haughty. It is king over all that are proud. Now, you may be sitting here this morning or watching online and you're thinking, nah, Linda, I disagree with you on that thought about Leviathan. But I just want us to think about something just for a quick minute. All the works that the Lord has described in chapter 38, 39, 40 and 41, just thinking about all of that that the Lord has talked about and maybe you can look at it all yourself later, The Lord in those chapters has talked about his great creation of the universe, and I've got it summarised here. He talks about the division of light and darkness, the division of day and night, the division of sea and dry land, the creation and organisation of all the galaxies, the constant control of the weather, and the design and care of all animals. Can we seriously imagine that the climax of the Lord's sermon to Job is whether or not he could defeat a whale or a crocodile? Or could it be that the climax to the Lord's questioning at the end of chapter 41 is whether Job could defeat our adversary, Satan, the one who has ruined the entire world? And this is the same Satan who started this whole miserable chapter in chapter one. And I believe it's the same Satan who ends the book of Job right there in chapter 41. So where does this leave us today? Well, I think it leaves us with a massive question. We started off talking about questions. But this question that it leaves us with, I believe that every single born-again believer can answer this question. Who can defeat our adversary, Satan? And there's only one person who can truly defeat him and bring about justice and redemption. And his name is Jesus Christ. And I'm just giving you my musings here. Is it possible that the book of Job is somehow foreshadowing our Lord Jesus Christ and pointing to him? Now, I said last week that Job wasn't sinless perfection, but Jesus Christ was. And maybe this story is foreshadowing our righteous saviour, Jesus Christ. And does Job's suffering and the restoration at the end of the story, is that all pointing towards Jesus Christ and his suffering and his glorious victory at the cross at Calvary? Satan is an accuser of God's people and redemption in Christ means giving a final answer to Satan and all his accusations. It's only Jesus Christ 
in which we can get redemption. And it's only Jesus Christ in which he justifies the ungodly and makes us godly. I believe that the book of Job started with Satan and it ends with Satan, much like the Garden of Eden and the crucifixion at Calvary. Christ's victory over Satan will definitely answer all of our human suffering and injustice and pain. And there will come a time, and I'm just gonna read this scripture from Revelation. There will come a time, as we read at the end of the Bible, when Jesus will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things would have passed away. I don't know how you guys feel about the book of Job. For me, as I've studied this for quite a while now, um, it's reminded me that there is an enemy and he accuses us before Almighty God. Job's story has also reminded me that none of us have the entire picture of what's going on in our lives. At any one time, we may just have the smallest fragment of what's going on in our situation. And I have kind of gone full cycle with the story of Job. I think he's now encouraging me personally, and I hope encouraging you, to trust and obey. James talked about God being our sovereign God. And Job is just encouraging us, trust and obey. Amid life's difficulties, trust and obey. And I pray that each one of us, brothers and sisters, that we can encourage one another, support one another in real tenderness and humility when people are going through stuff. That's my prayer for us as a church family. The death, the resurrection and the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ has not wiped all suffering from the face of the earth, as many of you sitting in this room can testify to right now. But my heart's cry is that we can all say with confidence, I know that my Redeemer lives. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you so love the world that you sent your son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, we thank you that you laid down your life for us at Calvary. No one on earth has ever suffered like you, Lord. And no one but you could have given their life so that sinners could be set free and brought back into relationship with our Father in heaven. We remember again today that our redemption was purchased at a great cost by the precious blood of the Lamb. And it's in your name that we pray, Lord. Amen. Amen.